This is the EVP Podcast. This is the EVP Podcast. I am one of your handsome hosts, DVO. I'm Ghost McGhostface. <laughs> and I'm Beaker. McGhostface. McGhostface. <laughs> Welcome to the award winning podcast, the EVP Podcast. We awarded ourselves. <laughs> Best soon, podcast of the year. But soon we'll be awarded by Disney Plus. Or, I Discovery, mean, Plus. Discovery Plus. <laughs> or both. All Who the knows? Pluses. Paramount Plus. Yeah. HBO Max Plus. How often do we swear? Do you think we're going to be on Disney? We'll be on Actually, they just put the Marvel series. Yeah. See? Punisher's on there. He's yeah. swearing. We're, we're coming for you, Disney. <laughs> coming from all. And Discovery we'll get all Plus. the awards. <laughs> but only if you subscribe. All right. Well, now for another episode. Uh, we just figured since Will Smith's going around smacking people around, we're just going to talk about Men in Black. Or actually, no. Well, yes, he is smacking people around. But uh, actually, good friend of the podcast, Josie, suggested we do an episode on the Men in Black. She did. So I said, for you, Josie, we will. Because we were running out of ideas. Not really. No, no, we've, no got, we've got so many ideas. We've got a list of ideas. <laughs> um, no, we've had actually several people uh, email us. About ideas for the show. So we chose yours, Josie, because, you know, we like you. Yeah. Sending us your stories. So keep those coming. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the Men in Black. So who are the Men in Black? Well, it's a TV series with men with uh, Will Smith. It's a comic book Smacking series. Smacking around people. It's a Marvel comic. Well, you know what? Is it a Marvel comic? Yeah. Have I you ever watched Marvel. Men in Black? Yes, but I didn't know it was In the Marvel. opening credits, this is based on the Marvel comic. Interesting. I didn't it know is that. a Marvel comic. Wow! Hope you guys just blew your mind. Like mine just got blown. I just learned something new. Yes, interesting. Yeah, I also just got blown. Thanks, yes, bigger. <laughs> I did not blow you. No, his mind. Oh, his mind. I blew his mind hole. Yes, yes. totally got blown right yeah. now by you. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. But, and this was actually. Did you, did you guys like the movies? I the enjoyed them. You wait. Wait. What? He we'll enjoyed them. <laughs> he enjoyed them. I enjoyed them. I you, liked the first one. Did you guys find them? The third like, one was unnecessary. Were you watching them? I was fascinated. Scared? <laughs> I was scared. <laughs> fascinated? I was more fascinated than scared. I, I was, I was. well, I was scared for nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> Joke's not, insert joke here. Um, but it's interesting, I didn't really catch on to this, but. They made four of them. The, the movies are actually based on a real or possible real entity or organization called the Men in Black. Dun, and dun, so dun. they're wearing black morph suits all the time. They look like G-Men. Them. Like ninjas. What? G-Men. G-Men from the FBI. Hmm. Black suits, black hat, black sunglasses, thin black tie. Yes. Kind of like in the movie. Yes. Oh, okay. Like okay. the FBI G-Men. And that's how they that's how they kind of appear. Do, um, <laughs> yes. Do any of you want to talk about any history of, of They uh, look like black? normal people at first, from what I understand. And then as time went on, they started morphing on how they looked. Well, what they do is they come around to people who have had incidences with UFO. Uh, or aliens. Alien abduction or witnessing UFO stuff in the sky. And then they get a visit. Once they start talking about it, yeah. once they start being vocal about it, then they get a visit. And we should clarify, for the most part of this episode, when we're talking UFO, we are talking extraterrestrial, right? Like, out of this world potential. Alien shit, man. Yes. Well, 1947 is when the term flying saucer first came about. Mm-hmm. 
So we'll get into that. Yeah, so so the Men in Black possible organization. We'll talk about that at the end as well, too, maybe. Kind of get into it. But, but yeah, the Men in Black movie series, four movies. Um, all pretty good for the most part. All I've all never seen good. the last one, the international. You didn't see that no. one? No. No interest. The third one sucked. Uh, what's his name? Chris Hemsworth. He made it pretty funny, the the international one. So I'll if you, you want to laugh, that's a good one to watch with Chris Hemsworth in it. He's pretty funny. If I want to laugh, I'll watch Dave Chappelle. <laughs> I'm going to go see him live in a couple of weeks. Just saying. That's right. I'm jealous. You know who I'm seeing live in August? What? Rob Zombie has nothing to do with UFOs. <laughs> or Dave or Chappelle. Or is he an alien? He could be. Hmm. Well, he's so, more paranormal. Ghost stuff. Yeah. Dig through the ditches, burn through the witches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought it'd be fun to kind of share some stories about the men in black. Um, Here they come. And the Men in Black. Beaker's got our first story he wants to share with us. 1947. Flying Saucers. Flying Saucers. Actually, so there was a dude named Arnold Palmer. Oh, I, I lied. I lied. Wrong name. Kenneth Palmer. Oh. <laughs> um, and I believe his was June 23rd is when his incident happened. This okay. is not my story, but this is part of my story. All right. Um, he saw, while he was flying through Oregon, he saw some, what he described as flying, or some... UFOs, basically. So he could fly? Yeah, he was, he was flying a plane. Oh, okay. And he saw some UFOs. He said they were going like a 1,000 miles an hour. And he said it looked like, the way they moved, it looked like um, saucers being skipped across water. So oh. this is where the term flying saucer came from. Um, this guy is also involved in my story. Um, he reported this incident on, like I said, June 23rd, 1947. So my incident occurred June 21st and June 22nd, 1947. You had an incident? Yeah, well, the incident I'm talking about, my incident, I've never seen UFOs. I want to. Um, but Harold Dahl. So he's the first report, uh, first person to report ever encountering men in black. But not the first person to report UFO activity, obviously, because in 1941, we had Betty and Barney Hill. Yes. So... Uh, Harold was on a, a conservation mission on the Puget Sound near Maury Island in uh, Des Moines, Washington. Hmm. Um, he got on the, his boat. Um, and I don't remember. I didn't write the name down. But he got on his boat. Um, he was with his son Charles, his dog Sparky, and uh, apparently two other men. Okay. And while they were out doing their, their mission, um, Harold said he saw six donut-shaped objects about 100 feet in diameter and about 2,000 feet above the water. Okay. Um, he said he saw the, there's round portholes, and he even said he saw an observation deck. Um, and most of the information I'm giving here is, I believe, uh, from the MUFON reports. Do you know what MUFON is? No. It's, um, yeah. I can't remember uh, what it stands for. It's it's one of the, like, the, the biggest the like UFO, UFO research. Researching organization. Yes, I do know, but maybe some of the listeners don't. They don't. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, so they're like the biggest organization uh, in UFO research. So he uh, Harold said he saw one of these ships started to kind of fly around erratically and it started descending. And as he saw it coming down, he kind of got scared and I guess he took off to shore because um, he didn't want to be. Well, this thing came down. It was about 500 feet above the water and it started like dumping debris out of it. Out of, oh. One of the portholes opened up. Yeah. And it started dumping debris. Um, in other reports, they, they say the spaceship blew up. Hmm. Either way, debris coming down. Um, this is when he heads to shore because he doesn't want to get hit by the debris. But, unfortunately, apparently he did. Um, well, his son, Charles, actually got hit in the arm. And it caused uh, some burns and a welt to appear on his arm. 
Um, and then his dog Sparky was also hit by some debris and his dog unfortunately died. Um, so when the porthole opened up, it was a, a, like a lightweight white metal uh, that was coming out of the the, the porthole. Um, the one that actually hit his son, he said he, he actually went and found, he collected it and kept it. Um, <coughs> while this was going on, he also took pictures of the spacecrafts um, before he left. Oh. Um, after all the debris was finished being dumped, all six of the spacecraft left. They all they all took off. Um, so I guess the the that night he took his son to the hospital to get treated for the the injuries, and then the next day he reported this to his superior uh, Fred Chrisman. Uh, he gave his camera and his official report to his boss. Um, when they looked at the the reel, the the picture reel. Um, the pictures that had the objects on them, there was definitely something there, but those were damaged. And then when they went and uh, developed the film, the the damage on the film itself showed that it was uh, consistent with film that had been exposed to like high amounts of radiation. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm actually trying to search for some of his photos. And I'm not really coming across them. Interesting. Um. So, I mean, that radiation we've talked about in the, the Betty and Barney Hill case, the Travis Walton case, the red, UFOs seem to leave radiation. So that kind of yeah. makes sense with the pictures. Now, his boss, uh, Fred Chrisman, didn't really believe him, didn't believe in UFOs and all that. Um, so he went out and he was going to do his investigation because, you know, official report. So he was getting some rock samples. He was investigating a claim. And while he was out there, one of the aircraft showed back up and it acted like as though it was like observing him, watching him doing his investigation. It made him feel really uneasy. Hmm. Um, so the next morning, uh, Dahl, I, I don't know if he was out and about or if he was at home, but he was approached by a man in black and he asked him to go to breakfast with him. And so he's like, okay. So they went to breakfast. While they were at breakfast, this man in black apparently didn't ask any questions. He went over in great detail um, the incident with him so he recounted the entire incident without uh doll apparently telling him anything he knew everything about the incident and even went as far as saying what i have said to you is proof that i know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe huh he then threatened all uh and his son and said if you tell anybody about the incident bad things are going to happen to you guys so harold and his boss uh fred decided that you know, no one's going to tell them what to do, so they're going to go public with this. <laughs> um, so they actually gathered together uh, an evidence packet, um, which consisted of some of the metal debris that he found and uh, written, written statements about what had happened. And they sent it to a publisher in Chicago named Ray Palmer. And before Ray wanted to publish this in his, his magazine, he actually contacted... Kenneth Arnold, the guy that I talked about before that saw the flying saucers. Um, and his, his incident happened two days later. So Kenneth Arnold, Arnold's uh, happened in, on June uh, 23rd, I believe. And he was actually the first person to report seeing UFOs. So his report actually came out before Harold's did. Um, so uh, Arnold or uh, Kenneth Arnold was also a uh, UFO. He was there in Tacoma, Washington, researching UFOs, obviously, because he had his own experience. Um, so he went to 
uh, interview Harold and, and Fred. Um, when he got there, Harold had said that his son Charles had just kind of disappeared and he didn't know where he was at. And I guess Arnold said that Harold didn't really seem too worried about it. He wasn't putting much effort into finding his son. He was more focused on the investigation of the UFOs. Yeah. Um, it was it was later, uh, Charles was later found that summer in Montana waiting tables. And he claimed he had no idea how he got there, which is kind of unusual. It could have just been like, kid was mad at his dad, he ran away. You don't know. There's, there's yeah. no knowing exactly what happened there. But yeah, it was a little weird. Um, so he got there on Mari, at Mari Island, our, uh, Kenneth Arnold, the UFO guy, um, late July. And he collected samples from Doll's boat and some rocks on the shore. Now, he also conducted interviews with uh, Harold and, and uh, Fred. Um, Fred said he, he didn't mention any uh, men in black at all, he, so he never saw them. But uh, Dahl went into great detail and f- gave a full account of his breakfast with his men in, the, in a sharp suit. Um, and like I said, this is the first, first time anyone has mentioned seeing the men in black at all. Um, so... Another interesting thing is, like I said, he was out on the boat. I may have not mentioned this, but when he was on the boat, so it was it was him, his son, his dog, and two other guys. Now, these two other guys never came forward, never did any interviews. Um, technically, we don't know if they were actually two other people on the boat or not. So they also, they haven't even come out and denied anything. Either. No, they haven't said anything, which is a little weird in my yeah. opinion. But... Um, I guess it was on July 31st, there was two pilots and intelligence specialists from the Air Force named Captain Lee Davidson and First Lieutenant Frank Brown. They came and visited Dahl and Chrisman. Um, they, they contacted the two and said, there might be something to your story. We, we believe you. We want to know more. So they actually sat down and, and talked for several hours uh, with the two of them, and they actually collected the metal fragment. And that was on a ship. Uh, that was on the was on a ship that Dahl had collected uh-huh. um, and they were leaving. They were leaving in their, uh, their B 25 bomber. And there was two other men in the, in the plane with them. Now about 20 minutes after these guys took off, the plane crashed. Um, the two other guys were able to strap on parachutes, jump off the plane and they were able to land safely. Unfortunately, uh, Davidson and Brown were killed in the crash. Um, and before they could actually tell anybody what they had learned from these two guys and um, what they had seen with their own eyes, and I guess the evidence was even destroyed, uh, the, the metal fra- I don't know if the metal fragment was destroyed, but the plane went down before these guys could share what they had found. Um, now, some witnesses in the area say they heard some anti-air guns shoot the plane mm. down. Hmm. Um, whether or not that's true... Don't know. Yeah. Um, again, this is 1947. Some of these people may have been in the military, so they know what anti-air guns sound like. So that's what witnesses say is they, they heard anti-air guns shooting these two planes down. Um, the official report from the Air Force was that the crane was just the, the plane crash was just a terrible accident, and they maintained that it was just a lucky, uh, unlucky happenstance. Um, before they could get off the plane, apparently one of the engines caught fire. And this is when the other two guys jumped off the plane and and uh, parachuted to safety. 
before the other two, the two that died, could get off the plane. I guess the wing had broken off and hit the tail and caused it to go into a spin. And it trapped them inside, so they went down with the plane and died. Oh, that's nuts. Um, so, um, after this happened, no one else came to talk to Dahl and Chrisman. There was no further investigation done. Um, I guess uh, Jed Gerhoover and the FBI also got involved in this case. Oh, wow. Um, and started looking into it. So, the FBI and a consultant from the Air Force uh, had actually came forward and, and determined that this was all a hoax, that they just created this story for attention. And I kind of, it kind of makes sense to me because like, so this happened two days before um, Kenneth Arnold came out and talked about how he saw UFOs. And then it was, it was after, after Kenneth Arnold said, oh yeah, I saw this, that Harold Dahl and and Chrisman are like, oh yeah, we saw it too. Or we had a different experience. So, the, the Air Force and the FBI, they actually determined that the chunk of metal that Dahl had collected was actually uh, a piece of slag from uh, smelting. Oh, okay. So I guess like when you smelt, there's like leftover stuff, uh-huh. um, slag. Uh, that's uh, Apparently that's what he collected, and that's what he presented as evidence of the, the that came out of the, the sky? Yep. Just by the so, way, Smelting Slag would be a great new series on Discovery Plus. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Smelting so, Slag. So, yeah, officially, um, according to the Air Force and the FBI, this was all a hoax. And it said that um, the two guys, Harold Dahl and, and Fred Christman, also came out and said that they fabricated the whole story, that it was a hoax. Um, whether or not it actually was is still debated amongst people in the UFO community to this day. Um, they're saying that the two guys basically said it was a hoax because they felt like the, you know, that they were being bullied right. and saying it was a hoax. So whether or not it's true, still up in the air. Okay. The official report, it was a hoax. Interesting. So the men in black told him the whole story before he even told him the story. Yep. Doll at breakfast. He says, oh, yep, I know, I know all about I know it. Everything that happened. Don't tell mm. anyone. So he went and told everyone. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And what that's happened. what you People do. died. Yes. People got blown up. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty nutty story. Yeah. Ghosty, you got another story for us? Uh, yes. So this happened years later in uh, 1976. This is September 1976 with a Dr. Herbert Hopkins, and he was doing research um, on these this on this case about David Stevens. Okay. Um, he was talking about his alien encounters that he Stevens had. Stevens was? Yeah, Stevens okay. was. And Dr. Herbert Hopkins was a doctor who did, like, hypnosis therapies. Um, he worked with a lot of other things, but this was kind of something new for him with the alien research. Ah. So um, this occurrence happened uh, with with uh, David Stevens in October of 1975, and this happened in September of 1976 with Dr. Hopkins um, so he's a 58 year old who's married with kids at the time, at the time, um, his, his wife and kids had gone to the movies. So he's home alone. And as he's there, he gets a phone call and answers the phone. And it, it's this guy who claims to be another UFO researcher from New Jersey. Okay. Who's on this other team. And he's also investigating the Stevens case. Okay. So he's asking, Hey, can I come over and can we uh, discuss this? 
And Comparing some notes here. Yeah, Hopkins was like, sure, yeah, actually, that'd be fine. He's like, all right, I'll be right over. That makes sense. So uh, he hangs up the phone and goes to open, I guess he's got like a, a, a door to open, and it kind of leaves a, uh, a storm door there, a glass door that he can look through to see when he, the guy arrives. Like a screen door? Kind of like a screen yeah. door, yeah. Uh, so anyways, he opens the main door and sees the guy walking to his house. Well, where he lives, there's it's a long walkway. There's no car over there. There's no phone booths. And this is the 70s, so back then you needed phone booths to make a phone call. There was no mobile phones. Oh. This guy just hung up the phone. He just hung up the phone and opened the door, and here's this guy walking to his door. He's already in the walkway, walking to his door. And I said even if it was like a call from the next door house. It was like too far still, away. It was still too fast. So there was no car there, and the guy... You know, was already there, and so he's like already there and trying to talk about the the Stevens case before uh, Hopkins can even like wrap his head around the whole situation of how this guy got there. He's already like already wanting to talk about this case. Okay. Um. So he's like, okay, let's let's get talking about this. But one thing that's weird is, um, the way the guy looks. He's he has a he's dark navy suit, dark gray gloves, and a, a bowler style hat. And uh, I guess the family dog, he's whining. Like he whined and cried when this guy first walks in. Mm. And not only did he do that, he took off running, like went to a back room or went to another room and hid in the closet. <laughs> and he says, uh, the cat was unmoved, but the dog was terrified. <laughs> Sounds about cats right. don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, but it was, just, uh, it was just a real weird look to him, too. He didn't have eyelashes or eyebrows. Um, he, he ended up during this conversation they're having, he wiped his lip to reveal it was lipstick on his face that look, was to look like lips. What he just had a little slit there. There, yeah, was, there was no mouth. No mouth. Because he wiped slit. his hand with the back of his glove and it like came like, off on the to, glove. To expose that? Or like no, he no, just, was... just, just as talking. He just oh. kind of wipes it. So he's noticing these weird appearances about this guy as yeah. they're talking and no stuff hair. too. Yeah, so um, Hopkins uh, did most of the talking. Ah. During this whole thing about talking about the Stevens case, Hopkins is doing most of the talking. And while he's talking like this, the, uh, the guy just would would occasionally go yes that's how i understand it yes that's how i understand it so it was just kind of weird how he would just reply like that um anyways at one point during all this the stranger tells him hey hopkins his hand is in his pocket at this time the 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 stranger ends up telling him hey you have two coins in your pocket didn't ask him or anything just told him hey you have two coins in your pocket pull one of them out and hold it up so he's holding it up, and he tells him just just to watch it. So he's watching this coin in his hand, and so as, Hopkins has a coin from his pocket, from his, his pocket, hand. in his yep. hand, holding it up, holding it up, and it starts to turn fuzzy in appearance. It's like mm. kind of like phasing, and then just disappears it in turns, his hand. It turns like um, silver, and then it turns blue, and then and just, just vanishes, completely disappears. Wow, and. He's just like, well, that is a cool trick. That is a cool trick, man. <laughs> well, the, um, he, the guy ends up telling him, neither you or anyone else on this plane will ever see this coin again. Plane? On this plane. Hmm. Hmm. So like on this plane that we're living in. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. Um, 
And then he ends up asking him if he knows who Barney Hill is. Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, I knew Barney Hill. And I, I heard of Barney Hill. Because it was like, what, 30 years yeah, that, later? Yeah, because this okay. is 76. Yeah. So then he goes, yeah, I know who Barney Hill was. He goes, do you know how he died? And he, he knows he died of a heart attack. Um, he said, no, he died because he, he does not have a heart, just like you no longer have this coin. Wow. Um, so that was kind of, I don't, how do you take that? Is that a threat? You take that as a threat, um, or just like because he's the way he's talking is yeah. just a matter of fact. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's not threatening. He's just talking matter of fact. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that'd be, that'd be kind of creepy. I'd be scared. And then and then he goes on to tell him he doesn't ask him about these because so he he's got a lot of evidence and research that he's done on this Stevens case. Dr. Hopkins. And he's done hypnosis therapies with this uh, Stevens, and ah. he's got tapes, recordings and tapes. Ah, okay. Well, the stranger doesn't ask him about these tapes. He just says, you have, you have these tapes. You have all this evidence of recordings that you've done with Stevens, and um, you, you need to get rid of it. He goes, you have... Uh, he goes. You have you have the recordings on the Stephen case and the hypnotes, the hypnosis and details and so forth. You need to destroy it all. Pretty much tells him he needs to destroy it all. Um, he wasn't angry about it when he was saying it. Um, and then Hopkins starts getting concerned about what he's saying, and when you, uh, he just you know. He, the stranger ends up telling him he's and he's not saying it in a mad tone either. He's just being matter of fact. He's just saying. If you don't do it, you're going to suffer the same fate as Barney Hill. Well, that's a threat. <laughs> yeah, that part's a threat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At this point, like you just kind of like are getting into the zone like, hey, where, where's this conversation going? And then, boom, pretty much saying that we did this to Barney Hill. Yeah, yeah. That we, like Barney Hill died because he was talking about it too much. Right. As we talked about in the episode, he was going on game shows and different things like that, kind of telling his story. And so with him dying like that at a younger age, you know, at an age which he could have lived a lot longer, he's saying that pretty much they're the ones that caused his death. Interesting. Um, and not only that, if he, say, he says he, he didn't say anything about him like ever coming back or talking to him again. He just says that he would know when it was done, which was destroying of, of the evidence of everything. So oh. He just says he knows when it was was going to be done. The stranger, and, yeah, yeah. And he, he said the stranger was he seemed inhuman and more machine like with the way he was talking, and it was almost you know just robotic. And towards the end of it all, like it was getting slower. His, his speech was getting slower and longer spaces between words. Um, he ended up standing up and saying, "He's running out of juice, running out of exactly the battery was, was empty." This is yeah. this exact words were. My energy is running low. Must go now. Goodbye. Oh, weird. That is creepy. Someone forgot to wind him up. Yeah. So, so, he's, so he's up then. now, and he's, he's leaving. Yeah. He, he watches him walk out the door, and instead of going down the walkway which he came from, he turns and goes to the end of the building, the end of the house, and just kind of, and he stops there. Stops at the corner and kind of clutches the corner, like he's like out of breath or okay. Or, but he's like he's he grabs to kind of gather himself for a second, uh-huh. then makes the corner and then disappears around the corner. Then he sees a bright bluish white light come from that corner, 
and there was no like shadow casted as if he was walking towards a car waiting for him or anything like that. So there's like no shadow of him walking towards headlights or anything like that. And there was a different color than headlights. In the 70s, everything was yellow or orange. Mm-hmm. These were white, blue, like LEDs we have now. Hmm. Imagine the LEDs we have, white, bluish right. LEDs. They didn't have that in the 70s. That would be kind of a weird color to them yeah. back then. So that's what he sees. And he kind of like, he's standing on his porch at this time, at this point, And he's kind of like scared. A little fascinated, yeah. a little scared. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, soon after, his, his family comes home. And he, his older son sees that he's a little shaken up. And asked him what happened. Told him what happened. They go out there to find any evidence of a car showing up or of anything being out there. And there was, there was no evidence of anything there. They couldn't f- see if it, there was nothing that showed up. Yeah. So he just he was scared about it. He destroyed all the evidence. He ended up regretting it later because he wishes he would have still had that to, to give to, the, to oh. the public. Yeah, but he was scared. I get that. But he didn't want to die either. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think he threatened his family too. So, like, yeah, if someone, some random dude came into my house and like, yeah, the whole or your whole family's gonna die, I'd probably showing up like there's no cell phones didn't exist then. I mean, nowadays hearing this, this wouldn't have been a big deal because you could have been on a cell phone walking to the house. Yeah. That sounds like the normal thing now. In the seventies, that's unheard of. Right. Well, and the voice thing too, like sounding robotic. Yeah. Like Siri, Alexa, all that sounds like robotic, right? They, I mean, they have AI, and that's all a thing. But in mm-hmm. the 70s, that wasn't around. Right. right. And it's funny how a lot of these stories about these men in black, they all kind of follow that same type of look of they're wearing these bowler hats, they're wearing the suit and tie, but they're also like kind of pale and clammy looking. They have no hair uh, on their bodies. Yeah. Um, they're like really tall and slender a lot of times. Kind of, slender man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's so but I mean, there was like another story that I'll the way that the coin phases like that. Because uh-huh. um, I remember talking about this in a, another podcast that we did on the Buko Boys where I talked about this lady who said these men in black arrived to her house and phased like that coin did, but they kind of did that to themselves and walked through her fence. They didn't open her fence to, to go onto her property. They just kind of turned fuzzy and phased and boom, they were through right. the on the other side of the fence and walking towards her. Yeah. You want to share that on another episode? Because there's, there's so many interesting stories there's on the a, Men in yeah, Black. There's, there's we might have to do a few episodes on this. But yeah, that's that's old Dr. Herbert Hopkins on his MIB shit. Yep. Interesting. All right. Very interesting. So I think he listened. He knew because my guy didn't listen to the Men in Black and like people died. Yeah. So when they threatened him, he's like, no, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing what you say. So my story is around the great Dan Aykroyd. The what? great. Yes. So he's uh, very interested in the paranormal. Is that hence two episodes in a row we talk about Dan Aykroyd? What did we mention before? Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters. Yeah, Ghostbusters. You got the idea the from, Hans Holzer. from Hans Holzer. Oh, yeah. He was yeah, a big yeah. fan of old Hans. Yes. He was fascinated as a child. Which is why I was kind of looking scared. into this more. Yeah, that is why uh, Dan Aykroyd created the Ghostbusters. You eating over there, Ghost? What's going on Yeah, I'm trying to get candy, and I'm making them all sorts of racket. Sure Sorry. Come on. <laughs> I got a sweet tooth, man. <laughs> so, you know, kind of reading into this, apparently Dan Aykroyd wrote Ghostbusters, but it wasn't going to be Ghostbusters. It was going to be him and John Belushi, who also wore bowler hats and suit and ties in the Blues Brothers. He was going to write a, a movie about the two of them, like, going on to this, like, intergalactic battles really 
but it just wasn't in the budget and obviously John Belushi didn't make it to to uh, any type of filming for it so that's when he teamed up with uh, Ramus and they rewrote the whole story about okay this will be taking place in New York instead of out in the galaxy uh, then turn into Ghostbusters so he's always been kind of fascinated about uh, the paranormal in a sense but he also was interested into UFOs in fact Dan Aykroyd has said he has seen four UFOs so he has said he saw two at different times and he called them constructs so he saw one that was just hovering and then he seen one that was just moving slowly so and i don't know what he means by that but what do you guys think it means when he says he saw a construct just something an outline of something and i don't know what comes to my mind i could be way out i'm not sure i don't know I, i think of maybe like the millennium falcon for example like that could be like a, if it's just sitting out there in the middle of the sky, you can think that's a construct of some sort, you know. So it could be really anything. Um, so I, I kind of think of that because maybe and I don't again, I don't know the speaker of no more about the Millennium Falcon than us probably, but but it looks like it'd be like the size of a I don't know. You could do a lot of walking around in there. You get a lot of things done. <laughs> That'd be oh, like yeah. a construct. No, that thing would be huge. Yeah, so that could be a construct for an example. So I'm not sure. So well, like, I, like in my story, the guy, and even in like Betty and Barney Hill and like Travis Wong, uh-huh. they they say these things are about a hundred feet in diameter. I mean, that's huge, right? So those could be constructs in, in the middle of the sky, you know. Uh, so those are two encounters that Dan Aykroyd had, and then uh, the other two encounters, they were actually two, two. They were side by side. These these two, and this time he's actually with his wife and some friends, and they were in Martha's Vineyard. He said this was about you know thousand feet up in the air and these two these two things were just flying side by side just kind of going at a at a high speed but dan Aykroyd also had a driver and his driver shared a story that when he was in the military on radar they were showing something on radar that was going about seventy thousand miles per hour speed and it Wait, was how fast seventy thousand um maybe he meant seven i don't know how fast planes ago i don't know so i don't, I don't know if those are going seven, so maybe maybe he meant seven thousand or maybe i misheard it but seven or seventy thousand miles per hour and this was on radar and this was kind of zigzagging in the sky i've actually have seen something similar to that uh, myself and maybe that can be on another episode but i can share i have a couple ufo stories and when i say ufo i'm saying it is unidentified i don't know if it's alien from out of this world or if it's a military, I don't know. It's just a UFO to me. But I can share those on another episode. Well, I'm kind of right there with you on UFO. It is simply what it stands for is unidentified right. flying object. Doesn't necessarily mean that there's aliens or life form on it. Right. It's just something that's in the air. You don't know what exactly. the hell it is. And, you know, Dan Aykroyd has basically stated, you know, he, he also does not necessarily saying these are from out of this world so uh average sorry to interrupt Um, an average commercial airliner can fly 460 to 575 miles per hour wow so half of a thousand (laughs) so this thing was going maybe he said seven thousand miles per hour but this is going pretty fast thousands yeah fast yeah so this is on the radars so this is a story about dan Aykroyd about his men in black story so this is uh this took place in 2002 he had a contract with the Sci-Fi Channel, and he was creating a series about UFOs. And the series was going to be called Out There. And this was eight episodes that they filmed. Um, they were filming the last episode, so I believe they had seven episodes already finished. And he was doing interviews 
this day on the eighth episode. So he was interviewing a, a couple uh, people for the, for this episode, uh, and now I, I, he actually mentioned their names, but I'm not going to mention them here because it means no difference. But I kind of do want to kind of look into these guys' stories now. I'm curious what their stories are about about UFOs. But anyway, he they had filmed seven episodes. They were working on the eighth episode, uh, and all of these episodes never aired. Okay, again, this took place 20 years ago in 2002. None of these episodes ever aired. So, again, he was filming the last episode. He was in between interviews, probably taking a little break. And he went outside to have a little smoke break. And he was calling up, or he was returning a call, or he he received a call from Britney Spears. So... Anyway, Britney Spears, Dan Ackroyd, huge fans of the EVP podcast. Thank you guys for again for listening to us. Huge, huge fans of the podcast. Yeah, I think she wanted him to go on SNL with him. Yes, she was. She was asking him to come on SNL to kind of be a featured little guest, and he was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll, 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 I'll come on there with you." So this is kind of uh, what happened. He's outside having a smoke break. He gets a phone call from Britney. He's talking. He kind of looks over his shoulder, kind of turns around, looks over, and he sees this black sedan. And a couple guys are standing outside. Again, men in black, standing outside the car. He kind of, he kind of sees it, you know, again, he's on the phone, but he does kind of find it awkward. He's trying to look at the plates, the license plates of the car, and they kind of seem a little fuzzy to him. But out of the back seat comes a man outside of the car. And this guy looks much bigger than the other two guys that were standing outside. And he's giving Dan Aykroyd some dirty looks. So Dan, but again, Dan Aykroyd's in the middle of a conversation. He's on the phone with Brittany. He's like, yeah, Brittany, I'll come, I'll, I'll come on. He looks over, sees this, and he's like, huh. See, he's kind of observing what's happening. He goes back to the phone call with Brittany, and he says like half a second later, he turns around again, and the car and these guys are gone. And he's like, what the hell? So, you know, again, he's stating this happened not even a second. He's on the phone. He looks over. He sees these two guys in this black car. He sees this bigger guy step out of the back seat and just give him dirty looks. He looks away. He kind of ponders over this. Like, that was weird. Looks over again. These guys in the car are gone. And he says, there's, there's, there's no way. This was just mere seconds. There's no way they drove past him. Because I guess it was on, on a, the street. There's no way they drove past him while his back was turned for a, for a second. They didn't drive past him. He didn't even hear them get back in the car. He didn't hear the door slam. He didn't hear anything of that sort. And he said, by the time, I guess maybe the street was small. It was on 42nd Avenue. That makes no sense to me. But hopefully, <laughs> again, he's on. they're on a lot filming, right? They're filming, you know, a, a series. So, so there's no way that they would have got in the cars and then made some U-turn. Um, he would have heard all this. And this was just seconds. So he said, there's no way that that could have happened. And he also said, like, looking down the street, he didn't see them drive down. Like he, he just said there was just no way. I was on the phone with Brittany for just a few seconds. There's no way that these guys would have drove past me or made a U-turn. I didn't even hear them get back in the car. So anyway, he found that was really interesting. He went back into the studio, getting ready to film. Two hours later, after after all this encounter had happened, uh, they just kind of walk and said, "Nope, this we're not going to film. We're not going to finish filming this. In fact, this whole this whole series is not going to. We're not going to even put this out there. This whole series is just canceled. Just forget about it." 
And I don't know who the other people that he interviewed on for this, because, again, they had filmed seven episodes already, and they were filming the eighth episodes. I don't know who all were on the guests that came on this, but it was enough to trigger some type of activity to where these men in black showed up while while he's outside, and one guy gets up and kind of gives him a threatening or dirty look, and then a couple hours later, this whole this whole thing that they had been working on was just bagged. So... That's a kind of interesting little story. Very interesting. Men in Black. What do you guys think? Men in Black? Is that is that a is that a government entity? Is it its own entity? Is the it... government says no. Well, this guy Hopkins thinks that these Men in Black are from a different plane. Like there's multi dimensions. Ah, they're just think, doing their own thing. They yep. think that they're from a another from agency, not part of our government of any kind but just to shut people up about talking about their existence. And if they are, I mean, why are they making themselves seen, too? That's, not, that's what I wonder, too. Like, these UFOs are being seen? Like, like for example, your story about, the, about Hopkins or about Stevenson, right? Is that the story? Uh, well, or no, well, that your, because that was your story. Well, he was Hopkins researching Stevenson. Stevenson. But, but yours, was, well, yours was... Mine was uh, Harold Dahl. So Dahl was out on his ship, and there's... Six, six of these ships. So he's uh, six, six of, of them. Airships, and one of them started dumping debris. Yeah, like, do you not think you're going to be seen? Like, are they being seen on purpose? I've I've heard stories related to the, they're being seen on purpose. If they if they if they don't want you to see them, you're not going to see them. If they want you to see them, they're going to make themselves shown. So if you're going to make yourself shown, why would you want to show people up that are talking about? It? Maybe they didn't think they were going to talk too much about it. I don't I don't know. I don't get why they don't want people to talk about it anyways. Why why is it? such a secret well, i'll tell you dan Aykroyd's, or, or actually dan Aykroyd's theory of why our government has maybe acknowledged the fact that they do exist they don't deny that they don't exist but that why they don't say it is because people are just gonna be like well you my my pastor you the police you the mayor you're you're not in charge it's these guys up in these ships that are in charge because they can just i don't know evaporate us in a second if they wanted um well, I'd say, was it 2005, the government officially announced that, like, Area 51 was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, they've came out and said, you know, UFOs, aliens, they exist. Here's some videos of it. Yeah. Uh, in an interview I did with Ben Hansen in the past, um, you know, he said, like, especially in, like, the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, if you came out, if the government came out and said, yes, this is real, this is a thing... You'd have mass hysteria. Yeah. Because you're, you're talking about times of, like, in the 40s. Uh, I think we were just in World War Two right. or somewhere in that area. Yes. Uh, the 70s, you had Vietnam going on. Um, so when you've got all of this stuff that's going on, and you come out and say, yeah, aliens exist, mass hysteria. Yeah. Like, people can't handle it. It's like they even say in the movie, um, a person is smart, people are stupid. <laughs> I mean, they 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 asked that same question in in the first movie. Yeah, like you're just if you, I mean, now like everybody kind of had suspicions, and with the internet and, it, and you still have people that are just like, no, no, that are just saying that. But well, even if you have like a skeptic and you tell the skeptic, well, the government just said they're real. In fact, they're putting the bodies out there from Area 51 for anyone to come look at. They're still going to be skeptic because they can't. They don't want to maybe even accept it. Well, it's going to put everything they believed in in religion to to a test, like. This is going to say, does your God exist? Because who's their God? Mm-hmm. Th- Did their gods fight? It was Bob. <laughs> They're going to have a God fight? Yep. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, anyone can take it any, any way. You know, who knows how people will interpret, interpret this. But 
Also, like we've mentioned before, to think that we're the only living species in this whole galaxy is that's also, just insane. That's insane too. To think we're the o- we're the only ones. We're the only. Like ones. I said, Travis Walton in his documentary that I watched, uh, uh-huh. they even mentioned that like Men in Black showed up while they were investigating the Travis Walton while they were looking for his body. Ah, like hmm. someone said that they saw a couple dudes that look like they were with the fbi a couple of men in black more or less yeah um this is why this episode came about because we kind of mentioned that and that's when josie's like hey you guys can talk about it right and I've, I've listened to a lot of i listen to a lot of podcasts and i've i listen to a lot of paranormal podcasts that talk about the mib and i've heard some really interesting stories about them some really interesting stories i i, I find it pretty fascinating and i don't know if we'll get the answers to it but well they're yeah. not real <laughs> i'm just trying to think like okay on a different plane, on a different dimension, uh-huh. is it some? And they seem like they're observant of everything happening. So these people doing research on on things and them saying that you know they're just very matter of fact of knowing already, you know, without having to ask or, how, you know, how are they seeing this happening? I mean, it's easy to make up a story that you can't prove. I'm just saying. Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate here in this in this episode, okay. like I always do. Um, so, guy in your story tells Hopkins, Dr. Hopkins, that they <clears throat> killed Barney Hill, right? So, if this was true, do you think that they would have said something to Betty Hill, who continued to talk about her experience and tell her story up until she died in the 2000s? You know, if they actually killed her husband... <clears throat> You think they would have said something to her about not talking? And then she continued to talk for like 60 years? Just kind of playing. They're just kind of playing on that to scare this guy. Playing on his emotions. And then when I was, uh, you know, that makes sense. But as I was was doing the research, um, it almost seemed like every time that someone mentioned uh, seeing a man in black, they took what they previously heard from other stories and just kind of added to it. And they just kind of evolved with every story. Because they went from just regular guys looking like the FBI agents to your robot that you know ran out of juice. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, then then they started getting taller and more menacing and and scary looking yet fascinating. Um, <laughs> they just kind of evolved through the years, but the Greys have always stayed the same, uh, consistently in, in in appearance. So to me, it just it almost it seems like. It is possible that it's you know the the enforcers of the Greys. What, what maybe, if the men but, in black were just getting more frustrated through the years as more people just not giving a shit and still talking anyways? And so when they're coming here to scare humans, they're just getting real frustrated with us. God, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we're gonna scare them and still gonna talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it just doesn't make sense. Some of these stories, like I mean, they're cool stories, but to me, they're just stories. Like. I mean, even the first two guys came out and admitted that it was a hoax. And like I said, it's possible that they felt threatened by our actual government okay. agencies. Now we're in a time of doorbell cameras. Let's see some men in black show up now with some doorbell cameras. <laughs> oh, there was a, a video, and I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can clip that video and put it on the social media, but I'll show you guys here in a little minute. There some men a, in black on some doorbell cameras? No, walking into an office building. I've seen a few videos of those. Okay, I've yeah. seen, okay, the CCTV. Yeah. Okay. So, it, I mean, of, it is entirely possible. I'm not going to say it's not within the realm of possibility, but highly unlikely, in my opinion. Hmm. So you're saying you don't believe the men in black? He wants proof. I okay. would like more proof. Okay. I mean, like, for me, like like I said, with Betty and Barney Hill, 
and I'm I'm starting to open up to the Greys more. <laughs> okay. Um, especially since Just I've wait met, till they probe you. Yeah. I that's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> you want to get fingered so bad. Right? Yeah, he's, he's asking. I mean, for what it. better way to find out that they're real than you know first hand experience? Um, yes. <laughs> Um, so I'm just barely opening up to the idea that greys are a thing. Like okay. I said, I've always believed in the Nordics uh-huh. since I started researching aliens and UFOs like five years ago. Um, that to me makes more sense. Um, the men in black, I think it's just kind of a stretch. I mean, it's, it's entirely possible. Our government is capable of a lot of things that we don't know about. Sure. Um, so it's possible that, that our government is working with other governments from other dimensions or planets, but... I just don't know. It or seems they employ different types of people. Maybe. Just saying. Maybe they employ some Nordics. But it just it seems interesting that people are like, okay, I was told by this dude, don't talk about it or bad things are going to happen. So, And literally every one of them talks about it. <laughs> and nothing bad has happened except for the first story so far that I've... That we've shared on the three stories. That you know. I guess, of. I mean, Dan Ackridge's series being canceled is a bad thing happening. But he wasn't actually approached by the Men in Black. They never told him to cancel the show. They, they just, never threatened his kind of, life. It just Not happened. Him. Not him. But probably the producers or mm-hmm. right. the uh, you know people in charge. But still, that could be a, a fancy way of explaining the fact that the sci-fi network decided to go in a different direction mid-production. Because yeah. that does happen in television. Sure. So... Well, this is for the Travel Channel now. <laughs> These are all fascinating stories. Yes. Are they scary? <laughs> Just my opinion. So, what okay. do you guys think? I, I I think it's possible. I can't I can't I can't say for sure. Yes, they they are a real entity or a real agency or organization, but I do think it's a possibility that um, that they exist. Whether the, we know about them, like our government knows about them, or or if our government employs these type of looking people, I don't know. I mean, the guy that's running out of energy, you know, that's so, so weird. Kind of cool, though. Yeah. I think that with so many people having experiences, that it's a it's a high probability that it could be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now in the age we're in with more cameras being out there, that... If this continues to go on, I think it's going to be captured more unless they somehow toggle off their cameras and show up that way. They might. Mm. Spooky, spooky. Yeah, interesting. Stay fascinated. Yes. <laughs> Keep Stay it scary. scary. <laughs> All right, should we end that? Yeah. I think so. All right, go so you don't play that. Peace out, butterflies. Keep aliens and UFOs out your effing mouth. <laughs> Thank you.